0: This is a Fubar Radio podcast. Go to FubarRadio.com for more details.
1: Screen Talk with Dan Clark on Fubar Radio.
2: Hello and welcome to Screen Talk with me, Dan Clark, in case you... uh Suddenly wondered or forgot what my voice sounds like. Yes, it's me, Dan Clarkback. Thanks for tuning in. Um, uh, today uh, we have a wonderful show. Today uh, with uh, a plethora of guests, beginning with the letter J, which uh, <coughs> which was arranged. Uh, and uh, so we have James with us, James Gill. He's uh, he's sitting there checking his phone. Uh, he will be giving us the the film news in a few minutes. And we have Jason Hazy and Joel Morris, uh, two excellent comedy writers uh who will be with us in 20 minutes with probably one of the most obscure bizarre guilty pleasures we've ever had on the show uh which i'm very much looking forward to i currently have uh makeup on my nose uh i woke up with a a massive spot on my face and just as i was leaving the flat for some reason my girlfriend went oh you can't you can't go and do the show with that i'm like i don't think they're gonna hear my spot I can't, a, I can't see your spot, can't you? Well, no. there, there you go. It worked. She, she was, o- she was obviously thinking more
0: of my guests than uh, in the studio. Well, you're than beautiful. The people. You, by the way, your tan has gone down significantly from last week. Okay, great. So does no, O'Connor more Tom O'Connor this week <laughs> God you, you you're an encyclopedia of uh, 70s comics <laughs> yeah, aren't you that's all I've
2: got you, you shouldn't idolise too many of those because one of them <laughs> will let you down when you three reveal them
0: <laughs> oh man Tom O'Connor what was the show he did uh, it was Crosswits and his Crosswits. catchphrase was never a crossword oh. Kate Copstick was one of the team captains and the other team captain was right. The other team captain was so not famous that one week Tom O'Connor said to him, "What have you been up to?" And he said, Oh, staying out of trouble." And I was, <laughs> I was, I was watching. I was at university watching that, thinking, "You have literally no work on whatsoever, well, other than Crosswits.
2: You do realise now, in hindsight, what he meant by that, don't you? Yeah, yeah, it would appear it so. like, you know, Penny keeps is,
0: <laughs> hiding in plain sight. I am it's literally
2: so bl- staying out of trouble. You know, what he meant is, it's so bloody hard not to, like, have sex with underage people these days, <laughs> oh but I'm just God. trying. I'm trying my best. Uh, I um, I just... I, uh, slightly strange segue to go from that to this, but before we do talk about the films and bring other guests on, I do want to bring your attention too, because I feel like this is a worthy cause, especially considering what the show is about, uh, to turn your attention to the Curzon cinema. You know that there is the threat that the cinema is going to be closed. And if you Google 38 degrees... Uh, save the Curzon, I urge you to go and uh, sign the petition. I know that that 38 Degrees website, like, once you'd sign
0: one petition, you then get a billion emails saying... I, I get so many emails about yeah. petitions that I want to start a petition to stop my emails about petitions. Do not. I mean, I nearly named the website I've signed up to, but that would be a bad thing to do. But, if like, they're just emails, you know? It's hardly, like, yeah. it's the worst thing, but when it's yeah. a good cause... The Curzon is awesome. I was there the other day to watch uh, a European f- uh, modern Fairy tale called Tailor Tales, and the Curzon is just an awesome place it's, to see a yeah, film. It's awesome, and it's um, you know, the the
2: the threat is that they're going to build another cross rail. But my thing is, if you're knocking oh, down
0: every cloud, yeah,
2: <laughs> but what's the point in that? You know, you say it just means that people in like Ilford or St Albans can get into the centre of town in like twenty minutes to go to a Starbucks or a. Top shop that's sort of maybe just a tiny bit
0: bigger than the if they're one they're listening in, right now. They're going, sounds pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> no, the, I shouldn't say that. The Curzon is, is a, a, a beautiful place.
2: It is. And I've seen a lot of uh, brilliant stuff. I, I actually saw, uh, I think it was last year, the uh, Parallax View. Have you seen that? No. Film? Oh, amazing. That's film. a classic. It's another yeah. classic
0: I've not seen. It is another the classic. It's
2: growing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and it was introduced <laughs> by Alex Cox. Uh, oh my God. Yeah. Dude. It was a really cool event. But they kept showing off about oh it's it's original 35 mil uh copy here and everyone was really excited about it and it looked like a fucking piece of shit <laughs> it had hairs in it it had oh, like cracks man. there were frames missing <laughs> so it was doing. just jump but people were like oh this is this is real cinema i like, should be seen look i'm all in favor of celluloid and original projection but it, not if the uh, the original film hasn't been looked after um, so,
0: uh, James, tell us a bit about what's been happening in the film world. Uh, you've actually seen a couple of films this week, right? A couple of newbies. Yes, and I think I can talk... Oh, Yeah, I think I can talk about them both. So, I so saw Captain America Civil War. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God, it is amazing. <laughs> it, honestly, it is so good. There is a... There's an airport battle about three quarters of the way through, which has Team Cap versus Team Iron Man and... Oh my God! You will be drooling into your popcorn. Well,
2: as you know, I'm not like the biggest
0: uh, comic book fan. It's joyous. It. The, the director. I have read. People saying
2: that it's the best, the best Marvel movie. Yeah, some
0: people have. I mean, some people say it's the best Marvel movie. The, the direct, the, the the men of the match are the directors, the Russo brothers, who broke through on Community, the awesome sitcom, and they've directed it. And how they juggle so many superstars and give them enough screen t- screen time, uh, screen time in the case of some of them <laughs> is incredible. The action is amazing. The the story, also another important. There's thing... There's a story. We'll wait for it. Another important thing is they're not laying groundwork for spin-offs and future installments, like some other superhero movies, they just let the story crack on, and it is all the better for it. You will not be disappointed. Did they they also write it as well? Uh, I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, The Film Expert Dave Gill will be with us uh, next week. Oh, I've done it again! Yes! It's alright, you
2: didn't know I was going to ask you about uh, that, to be fair. But
0: it's really, really good. And then I have seen Everybody Wants Some, which which is the new Linklater movie, which I'm going to say uh, near the end of april that is the best film i've seen this year it's it's knocking midnight special into second place that is everybody wants some i mean it is it only is april but joyous but i'm really excited the credits about it. roll mark my words dude meisters when the credits roll you will miss those characters that is how much fun that film is there's no complex plot you are just following a bunch of dudes around for three days and it is wonderful. I, I, I do that anyway. Yeah, yes. Well, you're going to think it's a documentary. Uh, often in a screening room in a comedy, I am the only person laughing. Because, lo- you know, some yeah, In the press screening. In the press uh, screening, yeah. I, I embarrass myself by how much I laugh. Uh, last night, the whole room was rocking. It was, everyone uh, loved it. There was, there was a small platoon who went from shortlist, and we nearly hugged it out at the end. That, that was how much we loved amazing. it. That's yeah.
2: amazing. Uh, I was listening to uh, an interview with Link later, and they said that at the, uh, a press screening in America, it got a standing evasion. Wow! That, but
1: but I feel they like said last night. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
2: But that was a room full of uh, men in their sort of uh, forty-five plus. It's so a, it's I think fantastic. it speaks to that age. Is
0: that would you say? No, because it, no? it, it will remind anyone uh, of, of being young. Yeah, and how awesome uh, you know university or, or or college was. It's just it's fantastic. What I love about Linklater is like he does his kind of indie
2: uh, films that have you know, have that kind of naturalistic, uh, sometimes, you know, I don't want to say meandering, but kind of more... Yeah,
0: no, absolutely. You yeah. know, more sort
2: of, like, mood
0: films. Yeah.
2: But then he can go and do something like School of Rock. School of Rock, which, which is, is like
0: awesome. it's p- is, is the perfect sort of family comedy. Beautiful movie. We, I nearly rolled a tear at the the, the ending, you know, as, as they come rolled? out on stage, and, oh, my God. Yeah, I love that bit. And that's, you know, Teacher's Pet, I love all... It's just, the soundtrack to that movie is, I mean, music's important to Linklater, but um, what, I mean... I mean, Boyhood. How that didn't win Best Picture?
2: I was, uh, I think,
0: only because I watched it so late after uh, we, after we, it came out. We talked Boyhood. No, before, we haven't, haven't we? talked boy, Boyhood. So, so whenever, so my wife and I will go to the cinema a lot, and as the credits roll, I will turn to my wife, and she will give me like a marks out of ten using her fingers. So With usually one hand, she, usually <laughs> she's like, so yeah. f- five fingers and a thumb, six yeah. out of ten. Sometimes yeah. five out of ten. And then Boyhood, the credits rolled. I turned to her, there were tears streaming down her face, and she just defiantly. I'd love it if she was Two, crying fives, ten out of ten And she gave it one <laughs> <laughs> No, all ten
2: All ten Yeah, I, I, I guess the hype Slightly ruined it for me That was the, that was the problem That's the danger I, of seeing a film too late, isn't it? Yeah, well and, Or you wait so long That you've sort of forgotten the hype But I just kind of wish I'd known nothing about yeah. it So that when you started to go Holy shit, that's the same actor Growing, growing oh, it's up incredible. in the film, yeah, that would have, that realization as you watch it would have been amazing. Rather than knowing so much about the process of it before the film actually came out, do you not think Ethan?
0: Do you not wish Ethan Hawke was your dad in that movie? Uh, it's probably quite cocky of me to say this, but people often say... Say that you're
2: like Ethan Hawke. Yeah, not like him, but, you know... No, I don't know. Go on. <laughs> that, that <laughs> no, I, please. In the past, they said I look a bit like him. But anyway, listen, what, I don't know <laughs> really? why you and I often talk about uh, our lookalikes. Uh, any film news? Anything <laughs> yeah, exciting break, out Breaking
0: news, someone has told you that you like Ethan Hawke. <laughs> that's good news. The, that's the <laughs> biggest bombshell I've ever heard. Uh, yeah, the new I'm tra- a bit offended by that. Uh, well... Just think about it. Uh, the new trailer for Magnificent Seven Remake is out now. I know some people are anti remakes, and I love Steve McQueen as much, if not more, than anyone. But I do think that Magnificent Seven is a movie that could use a remake. Because that original, I know it's a classic, but you could lop an hour out of that movie mm-hmm. easily. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, th- I, I am all for a remake with Ethan Hawke! Callback! There you go. Uh, Ethan Hawke, Denzel Washington, Chris Pratt bring it on it was weird watching Chris Pratt in a
2: movie where he clearly wasn't the lead suddenly because he's obviously been the lead so he must have filmed that a while ago maybe I, no, I don't know if it's that, but it's it's just his his sudden emergence has just been that he is the lead in his movies and his films have been absolute gigantic mega hits. smashes. And then suddenly he's like playing not in a like I don't mean that. I don't know what you even, mean? No, not you but mean. but
0: Just like oh right, okay, yeah. He's. I wonder if they'll all try upstage Denzel, like the original Mag Seven, all yeah? try to upstage Yul Brenner I don't think you're allowed to upstage Denzel. No one can upstage Denzel. No, I think uh, it's not allowed. I think Chris actually, Pratt would be very cool with supporting Denzel, but in the original, there's a great documentary that goes with it but McQueen was trying every trick in the book so whenever Yul Brynner speaks the rest of the Magnificent Seven are all doing things to try get the attention so McQueen for no reason takes off his cowboy hat, tests the wind mm-hmm. and then another scene loads loads the bullets in his gun and then another scene that apparently they, they built a little mound for Yul Brynner to stand on because he wasn't the tallest dude as with most actors and I think it's McQueen as the scene plays out kicks the mound away so that Yul Brynner gets progressively smaller and smaller <laughs> awesome. Oh, there the, you go. The uh, any actors news, listening uh, Oh sorry go The final on. bit of news is uh, Shortlist uh, I can say this with my shortlist, hand, shortlist I've just broken the exclusive That uh, Robert Downey Jr. Has revealed that Sherlock 3 Will start rolling this uh, year yeah, yes. Interesting That
2: was uh, you know, Going back to a, a friend of mine We were talking about last week Drew Pearce was Attached to write that At one point But I don't think he is anymore Go on Well, That's it it's not really an exclusive, is it? I'm, stu- I'm still pretty chuffed that du- yeah. Drew Pearce is your mate. Um, uh, funnily enough, there's a link there with, the, with our guests today as well. Um, so, a uh, bit of TV uh, talk. Have you watched the uh, People versus OJ Simpson? No, I'm like the
0: only person in Britain
2: who's not watching it. Well, so... I, people would people would have been saying to me, "Oh, it's really good! It's really good!" I'd read some the reviews. First
0: episode is supposed to be outstanding, isn't it?
2: So I watched the first episode, and I'm only saying this because because I wouldn't just say this about stuff. I'm saying it because my opinion changed. But to begin with, I watched the first episode. I thought this is this isn't just like I'm not into it. This is shit. This is like naff. It's overblown. They can, it's like they can it's
0: put not, it on the poster. Yeah. <laughs> and then this uh, is shit. And I didn't Ethan watch it. Hawks I, didn't, alike. I
2: didn't. Wa- I didn't watch it for like I don't know. Uh another two weeks or something and then the more more rave reviews more what am I missing what am I I watch another episode I'm like I still don't get this like what is the now Episode six because I've, I've well, I'm not in now. I think I was in. That would be a weird to like. I still don't like this, but I'm going to watch the whole series. But uh, epi- episode three, I think. a six. Yeah. <laughs> this is the one I can feel it. Last ten minutes, <laughs> I will like this fucker. Uh, I uh, I've, I'm completely hooked, and I don't know what I can't work out. What is was the stylistic choice of the way it's shot and the way it's slightly performed? Is that a deliberate
0: choice? to replicate the kind of era, the the 90s, because there's a bit of a sort of TV movie From what I hear, that's deliberate. And also, someone in the office has said that someone associated with the case has come out and said that they've got it uh, eerily spot on. Really? Yeah, because I was expecting them to say, it was nothing like that. And someone has said... Yeah, that's that is worryingly on the money how they wow. how they've done it. That was exactly how we acted back then, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> like crazy people.
2: Yeah, it's 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 been uh, an amazing turnaround. I think there's only ever been like maybe one or two shows where I've had that complete in the history of my life of watching things where I've I've had I started that sort of turnaround off, that complete turnaround. Because now I'm all I'm thinking about today is can't wait to get home tonight and watch those final two episodes. What were the other shows where you turned around? Uh, in recent years weirdly and I'm a bit ashamed to say this because it's, it's become one of my favourite shows of all time is Mad Men I watched the first episode and I, but the difference with that was I knew it was a well made show it was beautiful it was brilliantly performed well written but I just found it boring and I put, you know, I put it down and then six months later I was like because I'd bought the DVD I thought I'll give it another go three more episodes and that was it it in- became it definitely in my top three dramas of all time do
0: you like Mad Men? Not, never watched it Okay, good. I'm too busy not watching films. <laughs> James, it's always a pleasure to talk to you. Dan, God bless you. I love you dearly. Yeah, did sure. you see my tweet the other day where I put... I Right, so I tweeted, I heart Dan Clark, included him in the tweet. No, not, I didn't I did nothing, nothing from, from Dan. But <laughs> social media felt pretty lonely. <laughs> Just going to check that tweet. Yeah, no, it's still nothing.
2: You, you okay. might want um, to think about the fact that I don't check Twitter enough before you do things like that. Before you, Dan, Dan, where are And start quoting Alan Partridge. Uh, James, will you come back again? I mean, this is, this is This is developing into a... a, a double act. It's a double act, it. yeah. <laughs> I don't know what kind of uh, dynamic, what, what we're following. Is it Laurel and Hardy? Is it uh, Little and Large? It's Cannon and Ball. Cannon and Ball. Yeah. There is a lot of 70s and 80s references today. And there's going to be even
0: more with our next guests. Are you, how old are you? 23 yeah 30 it's bad when the producer fucking pisses us herself uh, 37 37 how old are you <clears throat> 39 god you look I'm, good for 39 I'm
2: 40 uh, oil of ole. I 40 40 this year you've got smooth skin
0: my friend yeah I'm you're 39 yeah can you believe that Matt. Well done. Thank you. Well Thank played.
2: You. I finally got a compliment from James after that awful after Ethan. Ethan Hawk <laughs> debacle. That's going to
0: stay with me. James, uh, thanks very much. Take care, pal. Thank uh, you as See always.
2: you soon. Now, I'm going to play, before we bring on our, uh, uh, our guests today, which I'm very excited about, I'm going to play a, my choice of music today, which is actually uh, a piece of music that I was discussing with Tess, uh, from la- Tess Morris from last week um, this is an amazing piece of music from uh, Trading Places. It's the opening piece of music by Mozart. It's The Marriage of Figaro. I love this piece of music, not just because I love the music, but it also brings back so many fond memories of my childhood. Not <laughs> suddenly I've given you the impression that I, as a child, was you know sitting around listening to Mozart. That is not the case. But uh, I rewatched Trading Places as a, uh, as a child and a teenager so many times. Uh, this is... Uh, a beautiful piece of music oh, you familiar with that guys? Well, Mozart.: Yeah, the marriage of Mozart. <laughs> I love <laughs> that that you- <laughs> Figaro. <yeah. laughs> I love that you went a little bit more
1: cockney there what Mozart yeah yeah, I was trying to get in there. Hey, Dan, hey, how you doing? Hey, Dan Hey. I'm- Thanks for having us here. Ladies, I've never uh, been to a secret underwater base before. I know, it?
2: this is amazing. Well, it's just, you know, I've got this weird paranoia that during a podcast the end of the world might happen. Yeah. You know There may be a nuclear blast and I just think, as long as me and my guests are safe to continue podcasting yeah. in, <laughs> in a post-apocalyptic world. <laughs> it's the
3: only reason we accepted the invitation is we
2: knew we'd be safe. It is a weird invitation to get. Listen, guys, uh, just in case the world ends, do you want to come and do a podcast? Yeah. Uh, we have with us, we're very lucky to have two annoyingly Talented men uh, who I've actually known for some years. Uh, With us, we have Joel Morris. Hello. Hello, there you go. Just to distinguish, you actually sound a little bit similar, don't you? And. A little bit Shall I be Geordie for Could you day? do a Geordie yeah. A female Geordie. Geordie Just
3: do that I'll do, I'll do, I'll do <laughs> Milligan yeah.
2: that's, that's pretty, pretty good, good. That's That is pretty good <laughs> And uh, Jason Hazley. Good evening Good evening uh, Who goes from Cockney To uh, posh uh, Audiobook voice uh, in, in a nanosecond Amazing uh, Jason You know When I was preparing this Because yes. uh, uh, I did I know that's hard to believe That I've actually prepared <laughs> this uh, But I realised I've known you Next year It will have been for 20 years Wow isn't that Wow That is scary, isn't
1: it? now I feel about four hundred years old. Yeah. I know. Twenty years, man. Yeah. Have you brought a cake? I <laughs> have guess what? <laughs> um, so uh, yeah, we met in
2: ninety seven, I believe. That's how that's yeah uh, we did. Yeah, we did. You're there right, you go. Yes. So I, um, this, is, this show is just about like reminiscing about uh, the, the 90s. This yeah. is, it seems to be what I've done almost every show we've done a little bit of that. Now, these guys, they are... Uh, I, I'm very, very excited to have them on because they, after many, many years writing for TV shows, they've written their own books, they have had a bona fide hit with their books, the series of books, Lady Bird Books for Grown Ups. Is that the official title yeah, yeah, of the yeah, series of books? Yeah. Because uh, on Amazon it's the ladybirds for grown up grown ups ladybirds what I
1: don't like is ladybird books for adults because that sounds like a very specific niche
2: I mean that I bought that one yeah (laughs) yeah Well, that was a question I was going to ask uh, later in the show, but just quickly, did when you did this book, for people that don't know about the book, this is the series of books that were released just before Christmas, yeah. where you... Explain the book to, to the listeners, if uh, for people that haven't really come across uh, no, them.
3: We, uh, we went to Ladybug. We were trying to think of... Uh, we do comedy books and we do comedy writing for TV and we thought what would be a good comedy book to do that could sell and would be in our key that we like doing, we like doing pastiche we have done uh, The Framley Examiner which is a pastiche newspaper uh, and we did uh, Touch of Cloth with Charlie Brooker which is a pastiche detective show we like working in sort of parody and pastiche, we did loads of sketches that are pastiches and we thought we both love Ladybird books, Uh, we collect them and we had them since we were kids we'd seen in a bookshop some reproduction Ladybird books for the 60s ones mm-hmm. that were in a box. And we thought, oh my God, they've got a factory somewhere that makes Ladybird books, but they don't make Ladybird books anymore. So we, we just sent an email to uh, Ladybird and said, could we write nonsense? And put them in ladybird. And can you put that in the front of your factory? And out the other end of the factory would come some stupid books. Um, and that's what they are. They're basically these. The I love that
2: you also told them how to print and reproduce. We're very and, in control of the means
3: of production. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. The, the idea was, because we, we, it's impossible to get the artwork anymore, because those artists who painted like Ladybird and Eagle comic yeah, don't yeah. exist anymore. So we said, why don't we just use the original artwork that you've got in an archive, which it turned out they did have in an archive. They were going to bin it, but they saved it, so we got to play with the original artwork. And we said, we won't change them, we won't paint in iPods and beer cans, we'll just use the original artwork from your childhood, and then we'll recaption it as if it's still going on now, as if the people who made Ladybird books when we were in the 60s, 70s, 80s were still making them, but they were making them for the same audience, but the audience were now in their 30s and 40s rather than 8 or 9. Which is a neat so a simple idea, but they, they just immediately said, yeah. It took five hours for them to say yes, and here's the keys to the archive. And we published them. We thought we'd sell a few. Because the Kima books sell, but they never sell that many. And, and you sold a few. Yeah, I think the husband, which is one of the eight that we did, is the number one best-selling book of last year. Like including that Jamie Oliver, which is just including Jamie it, Oliver. I like, love it. It's a bit like I mean, not we are not JK. It's a bit like JK Rowling when people go. So obviously, what you do to have a bestseller is write a book about wizards at a posh school. It's the last thing you do to have yeah. a hit book. So the last thing you do to have a hit book is write a children's humour book or a book that looks like a children's book and is a humour book. They don't really sell for adults. So. It's just—it was a complete surprise. So we're uh, happy as Larry.
2: Five hours response. I bet you couldn't believe that. Having worked in television and waited for <laughs> a response on a script Ten from years, an executive, exactly. you're like five. Oh. Well, that, that is literally—I don't know what the math of that—but no, normally I, it's five months. No, Mary, you, you know,
1: you know, I'm sure you know who I'm talking about. If I say two writers who pitched a sitcom, which finally got piloted eleven years after they had yeah. pitched it. I don't know oh, who. Eleven these oh. years. I'll we, tell we, you afterwards. Oh no, we, my we, God, that. We, is, we went oh, to. We've been
3: to uh, we've been to Penguins' offices and Ladybirds' offices, and what they don't have is that desk they have at the BBC where you store scripts for ten years. <laughs> the one that's locked. <laughs> they with need the, to get with the, one. With the lions that guard it, so you can't yeah. get in. you have to wait for the lions to die before you can get to the scripts, so the scripts arrive with the postman, they're guarded by lions for ten years, and then you're allowed to make it. That that desk just isn't there in publishing.
1: I once had a, a conversation with Bob Larby, who's half of Esmond and Larby who wrote the good life and ever decreasing circles, and I said to him, And what was it like pitching shows then back in the seventies yeah. and eighties? And he said, Well, I'll give you an example. Me and John had an idea for a show about national service. So we went over to the BBC and we parked outside and went upstairs to Jimmy so-and-so's office and said, do you want a series about national service? And he went, no, I don't think I do. So we got back in John's Mini and we drove over to ITV and we walked in there and said, do you want a series about national service? And they said, yeah. And we wrote eight series of it. Get some in. That is beautiful but that's know, how it, but well, that's I mean what's more, more alarming about that Is
2: that they could drive through central London <laughs> Yeah you know? So I can't believe they could do that so quickly yeah. that is, uh, I was having a conversation uh, Yesterday with someone Saying that you know it's so infuriating When you watch these documentaries about Porridge or Python or Where they go you know and then we took It to the head of comedy or the, to the controller And they were like oh I'm not sure about this Oh go on yeah, And you're like what? You, had, well, you, you were 50-50 and you still took a chance. If there's even a 2% ch-
3: doubt nowadays, people are like, oh, I just don't think we can do that. But I think it's, it's... William Goldman said this about Hollywood. I mean, it's not unique to the BBC or to comedy or anything, but it's, it, he said that if... Someone said that if Hollywood greenlit everything they, they binned and binned everything they greenlit, it would make exactly the same amount of money because no one really <laughs> knows. And it's always the things that are huge hits. People claim they knew they'd be huge hits. Yeah. But we were talking to a commissioner uh, a couple of weeks ago who said... They had the read for Big Top, was it? The, the show that is now like the well, byword for the worst sitcom they ever made. Apparently the read for that was the funniest read I anyone bet. had ever been. Everyone was totally confident with it. And I remember talking to a friend who'd interviewed people who made the Bond movies. And they said, every time the rushes came down with Timothy Dalton, they all went, we finally got it. <laughs> we have got the Bond we should have had first off. This is going to be the best, most successful, most popular Bond movie ever. And they came out and said, and people didn't like him you never know in production you never know I so you can't Dalton. blame I'm, I'm a huge Dalton yeah, fan he's, I love Dalton. he's sort of increased in reputation because he's doing the same performance as Daniel Craig's giving so yeah, it's yeah. come back into fashion
2: a bit, but, a little bit more thespy yeah, than uh, I Daniel love, Craig but, I, love, uh, I love
3: his fruitiness
2: he's still <laughs> I, I like that he's on film but he's still uh, sort of projecting for the back <laughs> row <laughs> <clears throat> I, uh, I agree with you, I feel like there is Nobody knows anything that, that Classic uh, William yeah. Goldman uh, quote But there is one man in America In American TV who does know something And that is Chuck Lorre Who uh, created Two and a Half Men The Big Bang Theory These aren't shows I'm a fan of But he's got something like five hits, all of, the, all of the shows he's made. It's like, so there is one person who does know how to make well, there absolute was, smash hits. Well, there was, there was that we jo- need to
1: extract his minerals and bottle them. Yeah, we? and just put them in someone with taste. Well, yeah. someone
3: said that about it. it was about when, Pixar, when Pixar had a relentless run, it was hit, 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 hit. And there was an onion story, so I can say, Hollywood says, please stop it. <laughs> <laughs> You're spoiling it for the rest of us. Yeah, We've said yeah. no one knows anything, and you appear to know. Will you just stop making hits? That is another. Yeah, they are. Uh, 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 would you say that their runners as uh, They're, they're, they're they diverse. They're, d- they're making more movies. They had a. I read a, a that great uh, Ed Catmull book on Pixar. And their big new thing is they're making more films for slightly lower budgets. So people are saying, oh, some of these are failing. They're not costing as much to right. make, so they're taking more risks. So because of that, a few of them aren't going to succeed, which I think is probably good for the studio. They're yeah.
2: Gonna, uh, I thought you were going to say they're making more films for slightly lower success,
3: lower <laughs> lower quality, <laughs> for lower quality. Yeah, yeah. Lasseter went and he actually there was a bar yeah, and he actually yeah. lowered it. Uh, yeah, he <laughs>
2: went in and did that David Trimmer thing. Where you just lower, said lower, lower. <laughs>
3: um, <laughs> so
2: uh, going back to the books, like I, I'm quite fascinated that you that that's how it came about because I because you have a relationship with Penguin already. They've they've published your books before, right? I think that's
3: why they they answered the email. I mean, we, yeah. we, we did Framley Examiner, we did for them in 2001, 2002. Oh
2: my god! So basically, that that, right? yeah. Okay. So we had yeah. a long
3: term, and obviously we bring them ideas all the time and some of them go and some of them don't and we've written we've ghost written books for them and things they know that we're a safe pair of hands
2: yeah but I didn't I thought that you being that you know your stuff you know your beans that you work with these people that you would have had the idea sort of in house rather than be in a shop and go oh look they still make these
3: yeah like all good ideas it just it turned up out of the blue
2: and also like all like this is the thing I think I mentioned this to you when I saw you last that you know I'm all I I I equally respect people that are tenacious and go I'm going to go out and make money or make something a success but when you make something that because I always get the impression with you guys that you're really ultimately your goal is just to make something that makes you laugh and your friends laugh and that's just a fun thing but that's that's, that's
1: sort of all you can do isn't it really if you're writing comedy especially when there's two of you you've got to try and make the other one laugh
3: also I think you've got to find within the thing you're doing We, we are we're not hacks but we're busy we're very very busy comedy writers we write for anyone and we can do house style we can sit there for a couple of days learning how someone writes. We wrote with, uh, we did not work with Brendan O'Carroll who wrote with Mrs. Brown's mm-hmm, Boys. Yeah. Now, I really like Mrs. Brown's Boys. It's really well done. I know lots of other writers don't. I can see why it's working, yeah. but it's not our style and I wouldn't sort of, I'm a sort of brass-eye day-to-day This will
2: be an exclusive. Jill but Morris a, <laughs> likes Mrs. Brown's it's Boys. Good. I
3: can see how it works, but the yeah. great thing with that is we, to write that, and we had to write, we did the tie-in books for it, to write them, we had to find where our sense of humour intersected with yeah. Mrs. Brown's, and it was in the autobiography of us observing our mums and our nans and you've often said that those, those two Mrs Browns Boys books we wrote are the most autobiographical books you've ever written about are our family. Are you serious? They're full of stories about our families and so I- we, we ended up just writing a load of like, tall tales about our mums and at the end of it we laughed our socks off doing it. It was brilliant fun. Oh, wow. And were you ghostwriters on that, or did you get... Brendan so, gave us so, credit. We got a little oh, thanks brilliant. in the front, and we're basically we're, our names are on it. So it's, it's, he's quite open about it. That Was there
2: no point at all when the offer came in, or the the possibility of doing this, where you thought, but how does our humour fit in with this? Or were you yeah, just like, know, we're quite
3: we like, give like us the money? we quite
2: like a challenge. You know, yeah. we're,
1: like, we're, we're good at... One of the reasons we do pastiche is that we're good at observing other people's style and then copying it, yeah. which is what... Um, uh, which is what the Mrs. Brown's gig was. It was we sat there and watched all 21 episodes of it and just filled ourselves up with brown yeah. until we were as brown as we could You've possibly be. you got on be. heroin. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah.
3: <laughs> browned up. Yeah. But well, it's um, the, same, the same as the Gibbons brothers do for Alan Partridge. Yeah. But I think that people sort of think that in order to do that, you have to sort of go, well, this is this is something I've always known. Yeah, you, know, you can sit and learn it. They would have sat and watched loads of Alan Partridge to learn how Alan Partridge works so they can now work with Armando and write Alan Partridge there there is something
2: quite freeing about that as well because I've only ever done it once where I've written for somebody else and I wasn't sure I could do it because the show was about three northern girls in their twenties. But like, you well, are, uh, in many ways, three in, northern girls. In I know, 20s. <laughs> but I didn't know that at the time. Everyone yeah. else obviously could see that I in could me. See it. I, I, I didn't you. know that, and I thought, how do I write that? But actually, once you, there's something freeing about it not being your creation in terms yeah. of, like, you know, well, there's something less putting your heart. You know, on your sleeve about it, so you can try stuff. And if people say, "Oh, that isn't working," you don't feel quite as sensitive in a way. Do you Mm. know what I mean? I mean, like when it's your thing, and then you get some negative feedback, you're like, "No, but this is—I'm writing about me. How dare you?" Like,
3: you've got a background in stand-up and things, which we don't—we don't do stand-up, but we write character. And the point is, I'm not any of those characters when we write a character. I'm not so you're always writing through someone else's voice shakespeare wasn't a prince of denmark when he was quite able to write one yeah. is that funny that's that part <laughs> of the craft isn't it how did he do that
2: how did <laughs> he, he, do he so many? dress
3: he dressed up on because there were eight of him <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah
2: uh, he, uh, so going the books the um what so what I was going to say was the wonderful thing about that book is it, f- it felt to me like you guys had written it and maybe you had an inkling that it could do well but it was it did really well like really really well and it wasn't sort of premeditated it wasn't like a calculative sort of uh, cynical attempt at just making you wrote something that you just thought would be really funny and then it became a hit and to me that's the most joyous thing when people just do what they do well and then it becomes successful it was very
3: word of mouth we got a lovely thing people started saying well I can see why they are big success what with Penguins big marketing might we had to go in and persuade Waterstones to stock them. They didn't want them originally. Seriously? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, As in, seriously. It was a real fight. We weren't in supermarkets. The, the usual way we've done books before, you sell them through supermarkets. I think we were in supermarkets about two or three weeks before Christmas because they'd all gone, oh, it's a bit of a risk, this retro thing. People had to be persuaded to love it. So yeah. there was no sense that anyone at Penguin had gone, well, we'll just march in there and put these pile these up on tables. Very often, in, in, the humour tables are really busy at Christmas and to ask to, to reserve a space to put eight books out yeah. It's quite a big gap well, someone, I thought-
1: someone was asking me the other day about the publicity And saying, well you must have done loads of publicity And we, I think we did one, two interviews Something like that We did one we, interview on just- Loose
3: Ends And it was cancelled because of the Paris attacks and was, You were everywhere Went, No we weren't, we were cancelled <laughs> <laughs> Good Morning Terrorists. Britain
1: rang us and said "Would you? Co- we're going to do a piece on the
3: books <clears throat> Could you come down to the
1: studios tomorrow morning We said yeah, no problem um, Then at five in the afternoon they rang us and said It's alright, we don't need you <laughs> we, filmed, we filmed some kids reading yeah, the books to so parents. We don't need you. Yeah, it was, no, the no. Easiest, it was the easiest publicity.
3: It was the easiest publicity campaign since gorillas. We just didn't have to be there. Oh, that's amazing. <laughs>
2: so did you? Um, did you? But you've done loads of retrospectively, haven't you? Since it's been a success, no, no. I keep seeing really pictures festival. of you guys. No, you know, it's, it's opening it's been sh- very superstores. Very quiet. But, um, <laughs> have we been opening superstores? <laughs> Cutting ribbons. Uh, well, people, people are pretending to be us because no one knows what we look like. Oh, that's good. Was there any um any boundaries did they set any boundaries about what you can and can't beca- were they protective of, over their brand did they no, say no, you they, can't
1: they we really thought they would be in fact they weren't we were yeah, we really? decided yeah we would impose because we had a we, we the first one we tried was the hipster which was just a nice uh, a you can write anything about hipsters because they're deeply silly and loads of fun yeah um but as and we thought we just need to get the sort of house style right get the voice right make it sound like a ladybird book um and While we were trying some things out, we were we were trying to find an example of something which was needlessly expensive, and I thought, and we found a picture of some cupcakes. So we put the we, we we write them to the page right. So mm-hmm. we're designing them as we write them. We put the cupcakes up there, and we wrote on the left-hand page, "Well, these cupcakes can fuck off." Um, <laughs> but and we looked at it and thought it's very funny, but it's just not Ladybird. Really? It's, it's we've also, got to pull. We have to pull all that out. We, we've got to write it. Yeah, it's got yeah. to sound like a kids' book for the pastiche to be authentic. We've uh-huh. got. We
3: are Ladybird authors. You've got the Ladybird logo on the front. And the idea is they also they they can be mistaken for kids' books. So you the idea was that kids might pick them up. So we couldn't write in the we. So you viz. can
2: swear and you couldn't. We write for
3: Viz, but we couldn't do it in the Viz tone. Even though it's slightly a busy idea about observation yeah. and being a bit frank about stuff. But the other thing is, there have been Ladybird pastiches for, since Ladybird came out, with the earliest one we found dates back to the early 60s
1: 1959. So basically, people have been
3: doing it, and the usual joke, which you see on the internet when it's done, is that people put a Ladybird image up and they do a caption like your fucking car's fucked we went okay so that's been done the basic juxtaposition gag which obviously as comedy writers you know you go okay it's it's Zippy and Zippy's on drugs and he's like okay done that so we said what happens if we don't do that if we don't do things that aren't suitable for children what if we use a voice that's completely suitable for children to explain mortgage anxiety or something and yeah. it seemed to me there was a funnier sweet spot there and one that hadn't really been mind you you couldn't get that for free by clicking onto a link on the internet do you, you think that's a book. part
2: of its success do you I think, think so, maybe my
3: mum likes it because it's not rude
2: yeah and, and do you think kids are really into
1: it as well i showed it to my <laughs> my 10 year old daughter had a look at the uh, ladybird book of the midlife crisis and she said Daddy, I don't really understand this. Like I said, th- good, that's correct. You've
3: got a while before you yeah, understand God, this. Yeah, God, can you
2: imagine if she did? Yeah. Daddy, this really speaks
3: to me. <laughs> You've like, got the soul oh, of a 43-year-old. You better have Richard Hammond's soul... <laughs> he died in that crash and it passed to my child well <laughs> in between the
2: books that you did in the early noughties is yeah, that the back in the day the let's, back let's in the, call the day millennial, but, and yeah. the uh, in fact actually do I remember rightly you one of you told me this that when you were either teens because you guys have known each other since school right yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah like 20. what age we, met, we met never seen yeah, 17 18, right yeah. so back in like the early 50s yeah. you, uh, <laughs> no, you so you guys knew each other when you were teenagers Do you, did you tell me a story that you entered a competition or you submitted a sketch to Ross Abbott yeah we
3: got um, oh, we Russ profe- Abbott paid us the competition qu- it was a professional okay, writing okay. sorry
1: sorry <laughs> Ross Abbott paid us 15 quid for a quickie. Oh, my God. That's a dirty thing to say, isn't it? Yeah. How do you like Um, that? I love that. You're in Mrs.
2: Brown's boys'
1: territory It wasn't just Um. Ross. It was Ross and Bella. Oh. The and
2: full set. did they put a super injunction on this uh... <laughs> uh, the threesome
1: yeah. <laughs> it wasn't even, none of it was our words either was it, because it was the three witches from Macbeth round the cauldron and one of them says when shall we three meet again and another one goes don't know where, don't know when
3: but I know, so we it's, hadn't it's written not, any words. not even our words uh, we, just, we just cut them up from something A like lot we did with the ladybug books, we yeah. cut them up and stuck them together but we got paid for that and that was and then we got, we did a lot of work for bits of work for Russ and we did some books for him actually, um we How old were Scott? you then? Well, I would have been about 19, 19 18. Wow. 18, 18. And then, because I was thinking, did you go,
2: right, uh, we could, obviously you were interested in comedy, writing, um, and you could have embarked on a career there, there and then, you know, you, you were so young that mm. by the time you were 25, you would have been, you know, writing, doing what you're doing now. But did you guys go, look, we can be TV comedy writers at any age, but we can't be pop stars and... At any age, let's go and do this music thing Because what some people may or may not know Is that you both were in successful bands No, we were both in bands Very <laughs> <That was laughs> w- 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 we, right. we were both so
3: successfully if, if in you're bands <laughs> <laughs>
2: if if your uh, if your yardstick is Coldplay then yes you were in <laughs> bands but you, you released albums yeah yeah you know and this yeah, is gigs and things this was pre social media internet yeah. uh, so e- releasing albums and having fans is is uh, something
1: that uh, people used to do is yeah. something people
2: used to do without just you know creating a following online yeah. or something but was that a conscious decision did you both go you know maybe we should it definitely wasn't unconscious
1: I didn't, no. didn't accidentally do it I don't know why we, we sort of stopped, did we Bit kind of we, I think we couldn't get stuff away could we we yeah. tried writing for I think Weekending or something, one mm-hmm. of the Radio 4 open door shows and we just weren't getting anything away and I think we were running out of money so we both went off and did other things, you went and got worked in a bookshop got and jobs I was, and things, I was working for a sheet music publisher and that, that's how we sort of drifted into music from that position of not having
3: bands on the side
1: and then, else to do. and
3: then after about 10 years of that nearly. nearly so actually of that, what you're, we got, what we you're saying bands.
2: is you were like oh we can't we can't get any work as a tv writer i have, what should we do for a day job what's the easiest let's thing let's be to in do? a band yeah well, actually,
3: I, I think it was odd. <laughs> we, 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 kept, we kept the day jobs for a bit and then went off and did something else you wanted to do that seemed to fit with a day job and then at the end of it as the, as the music industry was starting to fragment around the 2000s and sort of Napster and things were happening and suddenly the record deals started falling out, the record industry started panicking and we went, well, what do we do next? And we went back to comedy writing because we'd stayed friends and, and things. But I think the, suddenly there was a... The, well, the internet that destroyed, oddly, I only just thought about this, the internet that destroyed the music industry created great new openings for comedy in the sense of you could put a website up like yeah, we yeah. did for The Framley Examiner, which was inspired by me talking to Charlie Brooker and I said, how the hell did you get TV Go Home away? And he went, it cost five quid buy a domain name, put it up there, make it funnier than everything else, mm-hmm. and people will forward it round. You don't have to publish a magazine or get a job in private eye or anything. But this think.
2: was this was before you could just log on to a website and get a template for a website. Yeah, so you had to do all things. the codings
3: and but, but yeah it was it was a little bit of a crash course in sort of how to do it. But it wasn't as hard as I don't know going and touring as a stand up or something. It was it was quite an easy way to get a big audience very, very quickly. And we when we did the Family Examiner, we put that up spoof local newspaper, we put it up and within so within a day we'd had it emailed back to us by friends saying have you seen this could we put it up anonymously without our names on we went mm-hmm. oh that's ours and then within two weeks we had a book deal off it so it was the sense of you could, two hit, weeks. A, you could hit a big stage very quickly I've you really th- got to get into the book uh, business <laughs> here because <laughs> they're lovely you they love really them. get back to you quickly yeah. don't they that's <laughs> actually reply to emails we didn't even email them they, did, they just they just sent an email saying, we think this is really funny you didn't even email them no up. we didn't no. They, they found it and said they have people who scare. Oh, back then it was an exciting thing I think because Charlie had just been a big hit there was a yeah. the possibility that you would find new comedy on the internet so I think we back then it was The Onion Charlie and us and the competition wasn't very hot and we also said most of the comedy back then was people forwarding you a picture of a cat with the word shit on it and we said, if we can aim slightly higher than that, yeah. then it will be a real revelation for people.
2: It was a good time. Uh, do you... Uh, so you, you, how did you meet Charlie back then to get that piece of advice?
3: Uh, I used to work... Uh, I was at college with a guy called David McCandless, who's, a, who's now an information graphics guy, who does the Guardian's big infographics. Information is beautiful. It's a, a, a smashing mind and a nice guy. Um, and he was working computer magazines. And he and I used to edit our college magazine, and he had a day where he couldn't go into his computer magazine, and he said, go in and cover for me, and I went and covered for him, and Charlie was working there. So I bumped right. into him when Charlie was a computer journalist. And then and when did you... He, how long nice until
2: man. you met him again and actually started we working was, together? We
1: submitted some stuff for TV Didn't Go you? Home, which he used, um, so that's how we sort of got to know him. then I then found out he lived quite near me, so I yeah. said, let's go and have a drink, so we got to know each other. But that was, was, that was a knocked epic. on his door. Yeah, yeah just knocked yeah. on his door, yeah. Oh, and he was living in Battersea, and I was living in Wandsworth, so we could meet roughly, you know, just because... Both of us take a half-mile walk and end up at a pub. As
3: as all the things in comedy, we've discussed this at length recently. Everything in comedy happens in pubs. It still does. It did in the '60s, and it does now. If you if you go drinking and you're not a bell end, people give you work. Because they go, oh, I was drinking with that guy last night. Maybe he could. Especially yeah. if you're a writer, people go, who can I get to work on the show? That's where I've gone wrong. <laughs> be in the pub all the time. And it's great. I stopped you, drinking and became a bell end. Yeah, you can. Oh, you no. no, no. Those no, two crucial drinking. mistakes. <laughs> <laughs> but I am a bell end. <laughs> it's the thing you have to explain to your wife, where are you going tonight? I've got to go. It's very important work. I've got to be in the Yorkshire Grey all evening. Just, yeah.
2: Uh, yeah, well, only yesterday, someone, uh, I texted someone and said, are we still meeting at five? And he went, yeah, I'm just finishing up a meeting in. Uh, O'Neill's. And I was like, that is, that is, I think maybe it's a very media thing as well, but I thought, wow, that still happens even pre 6 p.m. Yeah. I, I thought drinking yeah. during the day was. People are more It's
1: dangerous. It's a slippery yeah. slope. But yeah. no, it is like but if the, it gets you the, work. But the the pub or the virtual pub, you know, it's like the it's like the Facebook golf course. For yeah. The, you know, for the comedy world, Actually, isn't it? It's
3: it's where the it's deals are done. It's also and it's to do with being social. Getting getting work is to do with being nice. Any agent will tell you this. That you won't get booked if you're awkward. People have to sort of like you because they've got to spend some time with you, working with you, writing with mm-hmm. you. And it's either the pub or Facebook and, and Twitter and things have been really good. I mean, uh, the number of especially women I know who have kept their careers going while they had kids, and this is a huge generalisation, but women who sort of have stayed at home to look after the kids, their careers have kept going in a way that 10 years ago they wouldn't have done, because yeah, they're still socialising with all their colleagues on Facebook, especially uh, journalists as well. It's, really, it's, sort, it's sort of being network. present, isn't it? Yeah, making yeah. sure you're visible, mm-hmm. so people yeah, yeah. remember you. And I think that sort of, that sounds very 70s, that the men are down the pub and the women are at home. but
0: uh, yes, it so, does. Yeah, yeah. St- Stay at home, dads as well. But <laughs> I think
3: what's happened is that, what used to happen is that you'd, you'd have a family and you'd vanish and that yeah. doesn't happen anymore. Actually men and women I know, who've sort of stayed at home to look after their families or have moved out, they've managed to stay visible mm-hmm. thanks to Facebook and things. I think oddly for all the damage that it's done <laughs> to the way people uh, shout at each other, it's been quite nice for making sure that people can get work. I, my thing nice. is that
2: I just I have the compare and despair issue with Facebook so much. And I, I hate to admit it. Well, you look but at people's
3: lovely lives. I just
2: I'm just like, why have they got that? Or what, <laughs> why have they why are they so lucky and blessed and <laughs> and I feel like shit. But uh but you obviously it's like in the old days you walk down the street and you see a couple holding hands and kissing and thinking, Why is their relationship so perfect? Did Joe Jackson but no is she one really going that, out
3: with him thing? Yeah.
2: <laughs> but then they go home and, you know, Beat the hell out of each other, and you, you have no idea what's really Pe- going on. But got, yeah.
3: One of the strange things about social media is that everyone that is an actor. Everyone now has a press agent, which is yeah. Facebook, putting out what they need to be see. What the, the, the press photographs of their beautiful, smiling children, and a minute after that, the kids are screaming. Everyone's in hello now. Yeah.
2: So when you, so did you? Con- like, I know that you obviously consciously did everything, but was there a choice where you went right? Let's stop doing the music and genuinely focus on comedy or did that because in my memory you sort of were doing Framley still when yeah. you were kind of doing music as well yeah
1: the very, towards the very end of when uh, when Ben and I were working together and we we, we knocked it on the head because we just this Ben and Jay yeah we couldn't yeah. make enough money I think we made the last year we were working together I think we made 13 grand in a year which is just you know that's good that's good that, I mean that was that was two hundred <laughs> years ago but it wasn't much money no, no. Um, and uh, well once they offered us this book deal and said do you want to do this book deal we thought we'd give it a plunge and then I think I was doing I was on tour with Beth Gibbons for a while as well she did a quite a big tour Beth, yeah yep. um, and so that, that was a sort of little financial help. But then at some point, I think we just decided to take the plunge, didn't we? We thought, well, let's, well, let's try and do this full time and see what happens. The
3: first book deal we got was so tiny. There were four of us back there. It was my brother, Alex Morris, and Rob Halstead, who we wrote with. We mm-hmm. did for Amity, so four of us originally, which meant that you were splitting the money even further. Yeah. The workload was, was better, and it was, that was a fun because you were with your mates. But it was a big grand deal, wasn't it, I think? And it, was, it was tiny. I think the year, the, year, the year we did the first Framley book, I earned nine grand, so I win having no money and having to eat tinned fish. But we had a, it was terrible. And at the end of that year, I remember thinking, what do we do to make money? And I think that was when I, I went and got an agent to say, look, I've had this family examiner thing, people like it, and people in comedy liked it. Peter Serafinovich was an early fan, Linen and nice people in comedy seemed to like it. So I went, oh, I appear to be doing yeah. all right. So I went and got an agent, and the agent said, does anyone else from the gang want to mm-hmm. get some TV and radio work? And you did, and we'd work together. So we jumped ship together to do comedy in a slightly more professional way and promised them we would not mess about too much.
2: And of course you've now written a gazilli on a gazillion shows.
3: Yeah. Uh, some none
2: some of, of which is
1: ours.
3: None of
2: which is yours. <laughs> it's good. But isn't it? you do have <laughs> your own well, I suppose in terms of the rights, what's the deal with the Penguin books? Because I was going to say, yeah, you've been writers for hire, but you've now got this which is yours. But well, is it yours? Yeah, <laughs> sort they, of. Ours. They are ours.
1: Yeah. I it's mean, ours. obviously the the artwork's not ours, but all the words are ours. So we've got uh, we've got a share of the ownership of it and we, a good share. Yeah, and we've got good. yeah, we've got, yeah we've got a good share of the success <laughs> of it as well. But, again, <laughs> but, still, uh, but still, it's got the word Ladybird on the front, not the words Joel Morris and Jason Hayes. It's, the, fir- it's the
3: first time <laughs> I think we had four. We done. F- something stupid like 14 books some stupid number of books we've done this is the first time our names have been anywhere in any of the publicity for it. Yeah. So it's quite because we've done stuff where it had been a big team of us or we've done it under a brand or anonymously or ghostwritten it. So it's quite exciting to... Was there an argument
2: about whose name comes it's first? Alphabetical no, as it's, it's alphabetical
3: as yeah. well. Yeah. Oh. Yeah.
2: Well, listen, before we talk about your, uh, uh, your guilty pleasure, yeah. Which, yeah. as oh, I said yeah. at the beginning, yeah. is yeah.
3: <laughs> yeah. <We're> getting there.
2: <laughs> it's, a, it's a thing of beauty, I think. Um, we're going to play uh, Jason, your choice. No, uh,
1: yeah, Jason, your choice uh, of <coughs> music you want to introduce this for us yeah will. this is um this is from my absolute favorite film score of all time which is uh, the score to peter hyme's film capricorn one it's uh, the music by jerry goldsmith and it's got this enormous titanium pair of bollocks this piece of music <laughs> it really has it's fantastic oh that was Whoa. wonderful Whoa.
3: How was it you described it? A pair of A titanium pair of oh. balls I I agree. What's, am- what's amazing about that Is that that wasn't actually recorded It was faked what? Just evoked uh, on on a stage. really, just like Capricorn One. Wow, wasn't a real orchestra. Just, just there you wow. go. If you have any other uh, facts like that, please uh, <laughs> don't call in because yeah.
2: this
1: is pre-recorded. Yeah, um, yeah, why aren't we doing phone calls? I want some phone calls in from this. pre-recorded yeah, listeners. Pre- <laughs> have you not got a phone in your underwater
2: base? No, we don't. Oh. We're uh, this is very uh, old school, uh, throwback. Um, if you are listening to this as the podcast and are wondering why you're not hearing the songs, well, we only play those when the show goes out, twelve o'clock, twelve p.m. Uh, on Fridays Um, but I'm sure you could listen to the podcast and then just play the song on your computer couldn't you yeah I mean we live in an age where it's possible to do that that. Uh, Jerry Goldsmith of course also did Back to the Future which is one of my favourite scores did he
1: was that not Alan Silvestri
3: oh yes it was I'm a a dick who does a lot of the superhero stuff yes Jerry Goldsmith did Alien Alien Alien. Planet of the Apes Apes. oh there you go I feel
1: like an idiot now we we
3: both we both work to Jerry Goldsmith scores he puts on Capricorn when I put on Alien it makes you scared and you keep working in case something bad happens it's amazing what happens if you get a little bit of indigestion as well and you're like oh my god this is actually <laughs> yeah, happening
2: yeah. <laughs> um so your guilty pleasure uh guys i mean i don't even know where to begin with this this is the first show we've because th- we do cover tv and f- uh, film and television but this is the first show where someone's picked a guilty pleasure that's a tv show yeah i don't really? even know if you can call it a tv show i mean it, it's, it's a tv t- experience i would, I would uh, say it's my favorite box set
3: is it a box set? You can buy it on DVD. No, League. you can't. Yeah, you but can. Two yes. volumes. Can you, you really please volumes. explain
2: to people what
1: this show is, what right,
2: it's right, called? Okay, because I,
1: I don't even know where to begin. <laughs> this show is, uh, continuing the pub theme, this show is basically
3: uh, different corners of a pub put on TV. It's called the Indoor League, and it was a 70s thing made by Yorkshire TV, and it was remarkably the first time darts had ever been shown on television. Wow. And it's basically it's traditional British pub games introduced mm-hmm. by cricketer Fred Truman with a pipe and a dimpled pint jug on the go, and it's uh, it's amazing. It's it's, it's sport. I had to, neither of us like sport. So and why do you like this? Because it's the best sports programme ever made.
2: <laughs> it's just amazing. They have things like Shove and yeah. Arm wrestling. Yeah, arm wrestling? I uh, didn't yeah, see that in 2. This. There's arm wrestling. Oh so my God. It was yeah. quite a
3: big thing. But it was the, when they said Series 2 has got arm wrestling, we got very I excited. Wish. So I'd seen you, that. But you can watch it. If you buy a DVD, you can watch it. And it runs the. Does the this confi- thing sell? Do it, people buy this enough thing? It's for no there to be a Volume 2. <laughs> I mean, there was one, and then Volume 2 came out thanks to demand. But it's great. It's, it's set in. One of those pubs. I mean, I get teary about old pubs because my dad was a darts player and and, and, a, and a big fan. So I grew up in pubs that don't look like pubs do now. They had mm-hmm. formica tables and red vinyl. They look red vinyl seats like the ones in the Likely Lads yeah, yeah, or yeah. in Get Carter. And and they built sort of a sort of a pub atmosphere in this place in Leeds, and it's. And the other thing about it that is brilliant, it is these ordinary people. It is the opposite of pampered sportsmen. Yeah. They're bus drivers and headmasters and things, and they're all fat. And in the, the title sequence ends with a man jumping into the air when he gets a bullseye and his gut pops out of his shirt. And they <laughs> and they stop and they freeze that as if to say, This is all human achievement. I, I got a still of that and made it my bus pass holder, because it said everything <laughs> wow. about this big fat man has done something.
2: You brilliant. really are a comedy writer, are you? <laughs> <laughs> you really are. I mean there is um, there, the, the, it was quite a progressive show because uh, I noticed that they were treating women uh, equally as well. There was a female billiards yeah. uh, player <coughs> who <coughs> they had the utmost respect for. Uh, a, we, a, we, a, a we actually have they're a bit of we have yeah. a bit of a clip from oh, the show oh, great, yeah. great. <laughs> dive okay. into this.
1: Now the question is who's going to take on the Welsh wizard in the final? One thing sure. Valiant There is getting a right clobbering in her final. But it's not putting her off her bashing and walloping style. She's still toting that kill like a cuss.
2: <laughs> but, <laughs> I mean, if if you if yeah. people listen to this and now don't want to buy that box set, yeah. I don't know.
3: Well, it's, it's made it's made by, it was the brainchild of Sid Waddell, you know, the darts commentator, who yeah, famously yeah. had these incredible, sort of poetic. He's a classical scholar. He used to write these very, very florid pieces for, his, or uh, improvise these incredibly florid allusions to Alexander the Great when he was talking about Eric Bristow. So it's got this great thing. He's a very, very clever man who yeah. loved ordinary people games it was his brainchild and apparently a friend of ours who is another writer who's a big fan of pub sports said this he hates the indoor league because it popularised darts and it meant that darts was the one that went on to be the still on television yeah. and all the other sports got pushed aside so when you went to a pub there was only a darts board there wasn't a skittle alley and a, and, a, and, a, and a sharp opening it was down to the indoor league that there were that, that a lot of those pub games got pushed out in favour of just having a dart board because yeah. it, it took off so big
2: I always wanted to write a sketch where you, you put slice together, uh, f- you know, found footage as it were, existing footage of uh, of like uh, a Shakespeare play on stage, and then when you cut to the audience watching it, it's the audience from a
1: darts uh, <laughs> match. <laughs> of, go on,
3: love, go on! Yeah.
1: We, I always did, thought that would be a good. Uh, we wrote a sketch a bit like that, didn't we? About the the two guys sitting in the crowd. Yeah. Um, Che- but, like, cheering on the football team and doing it in incredibly long, difficult Shakespearean sentences, and then, you know, and, and obviously then going, come on, fucking ref, you yeah. blind. It's basically man. Sid Waddell. Though. Well, yeah. this,
2: this, this, um, Kind of leads me to the, what one of the questions I had about your uh, TV writing career. Now you've written on uh, Charlie Brooker's screen Wipe, yeah. all yeah. the wipes, yeah, what, yeah lots what of
3: wipes. Versions of wipes are there. Weekly wipe is the one we were doing last, and we do the end of the year yeah. review, which is one of the best fun and, and toughest. Things. How does how does that work? Do you get given the footage first? Do you have
2: to rifle through there's the a footage?
3: There's a astonishing researchers who have just, basically it's like the man who fell to earth. You go to his offices, there's just screens everywhere, people <laughs> watching him, and they they filter it out and they send you 1984.
2: It. Yeah. They yeah. <laughs> send
3: you the bits and bobs of Sky and things and then it gets boiled down and boiled down and boiled down and you have to sort of keep up with the news and things but uh we also we, we got a, a luxury now because we've got Barry Shippease and Philomena Kunk so if yeah. we don't understand a news story we can give it to them and they really don't understand it or, so yeah. if, it's,
1: or if it's a really tricky one um, you Immigration just, we you did just, a yeah, last yeah, year. you can just swing Barry and Philomena in and they can say all the wrong things because they're allowed to because they're wrong yeah, the yeah. point about those two is
3: that they're but wrong. you still need
2: to to, to, to in a degree know your stuff yeah, yeah, you yeah. for that ignorant, to be
3: but it's, it's weird because it ends up being it's, it's ended up oddly being one of the few satire programmes on television I know which is a real sad and state it's, of affairs. So and Charlie's so busy we only get to do six or eight weeks of
2: it a year can I just say I hate Charlie Brooker because not only is he so talented but he makes me feel like the laziest motherfucker in the world like how does he generate so much content I
1: don't know he does work very yeah. very bloody hard
2: but um, it's not surely it's not just be, he's on a different he, he operates on a different plane doesn't he because he does comedy he does uh, you know drama with the should da- we, the, should the, we the
3: lie should we just write we write it all do you for do write him? it yeah, all yeah, for yeah. him he doesn't do anything it is amazing no, he's, incre- he's all over it and he, basically he's one of those people who uh, is, uh, House of Tomorrow which is the company that span off from Zepatron and just runs Charlie's things it is Charlie yeah, and Charlie has his hands over everything and sometimes you'll deliver you know he's really busy and he's been doing 10 episodes of Black Mirror and he's knackered and he'll deliver a script and he'll go thank god someone's f- done the review of the year and you kind of think he'll just leave it because yeah. he knows we can write in that style but he never does it comes back and he's just absolutely blue penciled it and turned it around and completely done it in his voice and it's no matter how good you get at writing for him he'll still rewrite it he still throws himself completely into it it's lovely
2: that's great so my last question before we wrap up you both, you write TV shows you write books which is your favourite and you played and you played in bands mm. what do you love doing the most
1: uh, well, I really like writing. I'm, I yeah. like it all. I'm very lucky I get to do things I like for a living. And yeah. it's all
3: writing. The yeah. stuff, as you, remember you said once when someone said what do you do in the back of a cab the easiest thing to say is writer because oh. that covers music and everything there's that weird thing people go Stephen Fry such a polymath and you go he writes and he writes and he writes and he writes yeah. as far as I'm concerned that's the same part of the brain if he, if he wrote and was an amazing footballer I'd go that's a polymath thing but it's the same part of your brain that, at well, the same time as well that yeah, would be yeah, amazing if he, was, if he was a footballing yeah. scientist like, again, <laughs> but yeah. we, when, when people were say, saying they really like the Ladybird books because it's very small short snappy writing that's writing a song it's little lyrics you, yeah. write, you get yeah, quite yeah, good at writing down. And do Ideas. you have anything
2: coming up Anything uh,
1: exciting that we could Yeah there's a thing that uh, Part of the BBC Shakespeare season And possibly the most intelligent part of their Shakespeare It will season,
3: be definitely <laughs>
1: um, Is uh, Philomena Kunk is doing A half hour special about Shakespeare mm. um, Which is coming up I don't know when the date is because uh, they, they won't, won't tell us. us It's a secret um, okay. they haven't it's decided. The classic, the the classic prep is, But they haven't given it a transmission date yeah. That's to make
3: publicising it much much yeah. harder for everybody So yeah. that people will miss it and then we'll get the blame yeah. But it's, it's we saw the, the final cut of it and it's brilliant it's oh, very, good. very good Diane's is amazing how long is it half an, hour. half an hour brilliant so it's Diane talking for half an hour to Shakespeare experts and she doesn't even understand what plays are it's brilliant she'll be getting a sitcom next
2: Great. Well, guys, I could I could have actually talked to you at length uh, on lots of various different things, but uh, well, we're sadly, t- we have this underwater base. We can always continue. Well, that's true. The Did the bomb goes? go off? <laughs> Has it gone off yet? No. Uh, so, uh, just to uh, end on uh, on another amazing choice of uh, music. I, this when I played this, because I didn't know this based on the title of the the uh, track. But when I played it, it imme- immediately gave me a warm, fuzzy feeling. Can you tell us a bit
3: about this last song, John? This Is John Williams? Yeah. Uh, uh, no, uh, oh, no, yes, sorry. it is. Yeah, is John yeah. Williams. This is from John Williams' soundtrack to Raiders. I got into this again because my son has been playing the Lego video games mm-hmm. and they've all got the soundtrack, and I'd forgotten this song and it was, it was an earworm. Uh, it's the basket game, basket chase in the uh, market, in the bazaar in, in Raiders. Mm-hmm. And the lovely thing about this is what Spielberg can do is he's really funny yeah. in a way that Lucas... Isn't uh, well, <laughs> well? We don't have gr- to worry about <laughs> Lucas if you, anymore. If you grew up with them, you went. They're both great, and they both form my childhood. But Spielberg, when he does jokes, they're really funny, and this is a really witty piece of music, and it's a lovely. I mean, it's my, possibly my favourite film, and I love this because it's an action movie, but it's got space for a proper piece of 1930s knockabout slapstick comedy in it, and this music is perfect for right.
2: it. Did you just quickly? Did you see that weird thing that uh, well, not weird, it, very interesting, fascinating thing that uh, Soderbergh did, where he um, got Raiders of the Lost Ark turned it into sort of black and white monochrome and got rid of all the dialogue and music and put like a weird... I, th- I can't remember the soundtrack, but he put like a modern dance soundtrack to the... And it was to highlight the expertise of Spielberg's blocking. It yeah. just to say, this is how good his blocking is. So if I remove all the things we understand, like yeah. we, we're used to, if you haven't seen it, check it out. It is the most bizarre thing that he has clearly spent a lot of time doing this wow. thing. Um, but it isn't as good as the, uh, the version that we all know. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, guys. Thanks for coming in. It's been a pleasure.
1: Thanks, Dan.
3: Thank you.